and welcome to Twigged. A light-hearted plant-based podcast exploring the vegetal roots of history and folklore, what'll kill you and what makes a decent snack. Hi, I'm Alice and I'm a plant-eating enthusiast and I love creating and trying new recipes. And I'm Alex. I really like long walks, trees in blossom, and learning about historic battles. I thought you were going to say, and I really like telling really long stories. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean about my stories? Do you think my stories are too long? (laughs) Hello, I'm Alice, and I really like listening to really long stories that are vaguely connected to plants. I've got a treat for you in just a bit. Thank you. I'm so excited. (laughs) So this week we're talking about hawthorn, more specifically the common hawthorn. And the Latin name is Critigus monogyna. So Critigus comes from the Greek kratos and akis. Kratos means strength because the wood is really strong. And akis means sharp because of the thorns. Monogyna... Mono means one, and gyna for ovary or seed, like gynecologist, because of the haws, which are the fruit of the tree, and these haws, well, the haws of the common hawthorn have one seed. There are other kinds of hawthorn where they have more than one seed. So it's from the rosaceae family, which we have encountered before. Turns out there are tons of trees. (laughs) In the rosaceae family. Do you want to know some other names for the common hawthorn tree? Oh, yes, please. So um, it's also known as the May tree um, because it blooms in May. Um, The white thorn and the quick thorn. As you said, there's another hawthorn variety called the midland hawthorn. Common hawthorn has one single stigma and seed and the midland hawthorn has two. And the leaves are very slightly different as well. The association with May, I feel like we've jumped the gun a bit with uh, with talking about this particular plant because yeah. it, it's really going to come into its own in May. But actually, having said that, the one right outside where I live is starting to have little leaves already. So that's... Oh, nice. Yeah, it's happening. It's all coming. There, there were little buds and then today I noticed a few leaves, which is quite uh, appropriate. They kind of remind me of oak leaves. But a little yeah. bit smaller and with a more slender base. Yeah, but a similar kind of shape. Yeah, they've got these deep lobes and uh, they're not entirely serrated, but they've got a little bit of a tooth at the end of the lobes. If you live in the UK, you've almost definitely seen a hawthorn tree because they're everywhere. It's sort of like the top number one hedgerow tree. They're quite small. They tend to grow to approximately six meters, although I have seen that they can grow taller. The trunks often branch into several different trunks that are slightly intertwined. So it's a bit of a cluster of trunks, which looks quite cool. And the ones near me are covered in lichen, so it looks quite like gnarled and twisted and storybooky with the, the fissured bark that they have. So it looks a bit like old and witchy. I feel like I say that about every tree. I'm always like, this tree is witchy. (laughs) I I thought that too, though. There's some similarities between the hawthorn and the yew in that it looks a little bit like storybooky, a little bit, um, there's lots of character, kind of gnarled and knotted and twisted. Yeah, I think absolutely. Throw some lichen on that and you've got true kind of enchanted fairy tale land. Hence Uh, fairy trees. Yes, exactly. Which we will go to later. (laughs) A little fun tidbit of what's to come. (laughs) 
So from these trunks, you get thin twigs that have long thorns on them, which I read could be one to three centimeters long, but I definitely feel like I've seen some that have been longer. They're, yeah. They're proper spikes. And the flowers are fantastic. You can kind of see why they've become such a massive part of folklore because you get these enormous clusters of white, apparently sometimes pink, but the ones near me tend to tend to bloom white uh, flowers. I've mostly just seen white as well. Where we are now in the spring, you just get kind of like a sea of white blossoms. Yeah. Uh, and then in the autumn, there are these tiny fruits called haws. They they look a bit like a cross between a cherry and an apple, but extra mini and kind of oval. And they're a deep, 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 deep red, and they grow in clusters. And that kind of brings us on to the can you eat it question. So can you eat it? Yes, you could definitely eat the haws. You can also eat the flowers and the leaves when they're young. Oh, really? Actually, the the young leaves are probably my favorite bit. So before the buds turn into blossoms while they're still buddy, you can just pick these little, it's a cluster of young leaves and the unopened flowers and eat them right off the tree if you want to. It can be a good walking snack for some, some greens nice. on the go. <laughs> it's called bread and cheese apparently yeah i heard that or you can pick them and use them in salads or sandwiches uh in place of like any other spring greens they're very mild so because in the spring you get some other greens that have quite strong flavors like garlic mustard and ramsons but if you prefer a milder green that's just a bit nutty tasting uh the bread and cheese from the hawthorn tree is a a good shout I actually still have some delicious haw and slow and rose hip jelly in the fridge that you made me a couple of years ago. (laughs) That might be quite old now. (laughs) It's still good. Okay, I think think there's enough sugar in it that it's going to be good for a long time. There's a lot of sugar in it. I'm still eating it anyway. We made some this year too. I did it with slows, haws, rose hips and blackberries. Oh, nice. And some crab apples. For the pectin. Have um, you been putting it with cheese? So we tend to have it in the morning with like peanut butter on bread or with peanut butter in porridge. Nice. Or with peanut butter on spoons. <laughs> we <laughs> eat a lot of peanut butter. <laughs> I'm sensing a peanut butter theme. Uh, did you find any uses for the berries? The oh, fruits, yeah, berries. Yeah. Um, I forgot that we for are the doing yeah. a podcast on peanut butter. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> Um, so in addition to the jellies, you can also make kind of like a hall ketchup type thing that oh, wow. I found a recipe for it with vinegar and sugar and salt and, and chili. And it was a nice dipping sauce, but it was so laborious because there's not much flesh on them, but there are massive seeds. It was absolutely delicious. Oh, wow. You can also apparently make it into alcohol or you can deep oh, pick yeah. them and dry them for tea. Oh, cool. And the blossoms can be used to make wine or syrup. But uh, one of the sources that I looked at did say that they're a bit fishy smelling. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So could you just swap out slows for haws and make a haw gin? I think you can make a haw gin. I will investigate because if they're delicious, but the... I have misled you, though. They're edible, but they're not necessarily delicious. Oh, okay. Only with all of the sugar and spices and stuff. 
There are some foragers who say that if you don't think haws are delicious, you're just eating the wrong haws and that you have to get them at the right time of year from the right tree. But I've tried several haws from quite a few trees. They're just really boring. They don't taste yeah. like much. <laughs> but I'll keep trying and I'll report back. Well, there's lots of animals that like them. The hawthorn tree supports over 300 varieties of insects. Dormice eat the flowers. It provides pollen and nectar for bees. The haw fruits are eaten by lots of different migrating birds and small mammals as well. There's so, something really lovely about thinking about a dormouse eating a little blossom. Yeah, so pure. I know, I want that. <laughs> Do you have any other like facty facts before I take us into more of a folklore um, direction? I have one facty fact that... Um, the hawthorn trees are most commonly found in hedgerows, woodland and scrub area and they will grow in most soils but they do best in full sunlight. Yeah, I actually, I saw one thing about uh, the fact that they are in hedgerows. In the forager's calendar, John Wright talks about the fact that previously fields were big fields that were used for communal grazing and then they partitioned them and enclosed them into private land. So yeah. to split it up, they used hedgerows and hawthorn were used for that partly because they're really hardy and can be transplanted quite easily. And they live a long time, so they can live hundreds of years and because they're thorny. So it's more likely to kind of keep things partitioned off. Moving us on to other fun facts slash generalized uh, comments that may not be facts. <laughs> yeah, let's move away from facts and toward yeah. not facts. So I thought it was really interesting. The Hawthorne seems to have this like dual nature of uh, partly being representative of spring and fertility and then partly being a portent of death. Yeah. Pagan symbol of fertility is what I've written down. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was also a, a symbol of uh, of spring and fertility in ancient Greece, and oh, they wow. used it for decorations at weddings. Oh, cool. It has strong associations with May Day and was a big part of May Day festivities. So I think like local youth would go out and find boughs of hawthorn, also known as Maybush, yeah. and decorate the churches and houses with boughs of them. They'd put them in the doorways. And one thing that I found that I loved was that apparently there was a tradition in Devon that you had to wear a sprig of hawthorn on May Day. Otherwise, you'd have water pelted at you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I really want to bring to here. I yeah. think that's a fantastic, especially if it's warm weather. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's thought that when the hawthorn flowers begin to bloom, that is the sign that it is starting to turn from spring into summer. Well, that makes sense because it's late spring. There are a couple of Shakespeare quotes that I thought could be quite fun. Oh, cool. So there's one that Helena says about Hermia in Midsummer Night's Dream. She says... Your eyes are lodestars, and your tongue's sweet air more tunable than lark to shepherd's ear when wheat is green, when hawthorn buds appear. Oh, I like that. Uh, hawthorn seems to often be used as a synonym for springtime, to be like, the hawthorn's out. It's like spring, it's springtime. Did you see the stuff about hawthorn trees being known as fairy trees? Yeah, I, I went hard into the fairy. fairy oh, tell side me about fairies, please. So... 
hawthorn trees are thought of as the doorway to another world or maybe other worlds, certainly the fairy world. It's thought that fairies live in hawthorn trees or they're the doorway through to a whole fairy world. I'm going to think of that next time I'm near a hawthorn yeah. tree. I don't know if in like some people's imaginations, fairies are so teeny tiny that they live inside the hawthorn tree. Or if it's just like a doorway, like a portal to a whole parallel world of fairies. I'm not sure which one it is. I don't know which one I prefer. They're both really uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, to me, looking at all of the other stories, it seems more likely that it's a doorway to another world because there's lots of stories about changelings and fairies replacing babies but sometimes adults with fairy changelings so they'll take the human and then swap it for a changeling because they'll take a fancy to that human and bring it into their fairy world and keep it instead through the hawthorn tree door (laughs) yeah so um Humans are quite, <laughs> let me let me start that again. <laughs> Humans are scared of fairies. Well, <laughs> in our research about humans. <laughs> so because fairies are the natural predator of humans. <laughs> no, hang on, I've got mixed up. <laughs> That's why they have such big teeth. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> I need to calm down. Um <laughs> So trees that grew of their own accord, i.e. not planted by humans, were sort of met with superstition and fear. People thought that fairies were really quite powerful. If they were crossed, if they were angered, they could bring really bad luck. They could destroy crops, all sorts of things. So people were very careful not to anger the fairies and not to damage or destroy the fairy trees. So you definitely shouldn't cut anything off a hawthorn tree. You shouldn't bring the blooms inside. That was very bad luck. Um, you shouldn't even sit underneath the fairy tree. And it was said that at night the fairies would come out of the hawthorn tree and play their incredibly beautiful music and gather and try and lure some beautiful humans to come over and join them. And then they could abduct them and take them back to the fairy world through the hawthorn tree. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Was it only beautiful humans they wanted? Yeah, I don't think they were very interested in the ugly ones. <laughs> hey, at least it's safer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read that about the it being dangerous to take the blossoms indoors. And so as we uh, constantly dance on this line between fact and fiction <laughs> yeah. in this podcast, but it, it, it is quite interesting how it, it can get grey. What I saw is that it was partially linked to the fact that people thought that the hawthorn blossoms smelled like death. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. And and in the uh, medieval period, people said that they smelled like the plague. Yeah. And this is interesting because the flowers of the hawthorn tree contain a chemical called trimethylamine, which is also a chemical produced by animal and human bodies when they decay. Mm-hmm. But so it does have similarities to the smell of death. Yeah, yeah, they weren't wrong. And especially in the medieval period, people would have smelled a fair number of bodies if they'd lived through the plague. Yeah. And and so, yeah, it was a smell they were familiar with. And that's also possibly the link to what I said before about the fishy smell of the flowers if you make a syrup out of it. Yeah. It does kind of dance that line between folklore and and just science. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting that it's um, that chemical that's released. And I suppose in those days, they would have had no idea about that kind of thing. Yeah, they would have just been like, well, that smells a bit like when my neighbor died of the plague and yeah. was outside my house for four days. <laughs> oh, God, is that too dark? Should I? There's there's always really dark stuff that comes up when researching anything, it turns out. <laughs> They're like, oh, what about this pretty flower? It's like, this pretty flower was linked to death and destruction in the whatever century. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you a couple of other maybe facts about superstitions linked to hawthorn trees? Yes, please. Um, we know that people were very superstitious about hawthorn trees and that it was very important not to damage them and anger the fairies. But that superstition has lasted all the way through until present day. So I, I saw a couple of examples of this. So apparently in 1999, they were building a road between Galway and Limerick and they had already like they were well into this project. And then they found that there was a hawthorn tree in the way and they were so superstitious of cutting down this hawthorn tree that they just completely gave up building this road that they'd started and apparently oh, like postponed the work on the road until someone was finally prepared to go around it. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Oh, that's and incredible. Apparently in Tyrone, which is where I'm from, I thought this was a fun fact, someone cut down a hawthorn tree and because they did that terrible act of cutting down a hawthorn tree, their ghost has been haunting the spot where the hawthorn tree stood for years. And apparently there were sightings of this ancient ghost in that spot reported in like 2009. So there's still talk about this haunting, haunted hawthorn tree spot. Field trip? Yeah, I don't know where exactly <laughs> it is. It didn't say. But Can we, we find it? I love a ghost. Let's investigate. I cut down a tree and I'm doomed to wander the earth Yeah, <laughs> The fairies are angry with me. Did you see the stuff about hawthorn trees, uh, fairy trees being hung with cluties? Cluties. <laughs> cluties. Cluties. I see. Is that like rags or pieces of... um... Yeah, like little pieces. Cluties are are pieces of cloth and rags that you you tie to a tree as a kind of like a prayer or a blessing. Okay. Uh, And I've definitely seen some cludie trees or like trees hung with cludies before. I love that word. It's like rumble de thump last time. Oh, yeah. It's really good. I like it. Did you see... The best stakes for staking vampires are made out of hawthorn. Oh, no, I didn't see that. But I did find out that witches' brooms are made out of hawthorn. And apparently um, a hawthorn is a really good wood to use to make a wand from because it's very powerful. Excellent. So make a wand. It can double as a stake if a vampire comes round. Yeah. And you're set. This is the legend of Merlin and Nimue. Nimue was also known as the Lady of the Lakes, among other things. So that might be a more familiar name. Oh, yeah. I um, know that from the from the legends. Is she the one who like brings Excalibur to Arthur? Yes. Great. Yes. Yeah. That is the same Lady of the Lake. Yeah. So Merlin was like the advisor and the guide to King Arthur. Um, and Nimue, who was also like a sorcerer or goddess of some kind from Welsh folklore, she basically wanted that job. She wanted to be a powerful sorcerer as well. 
Merlin was a seer or a prophet, so he could tell that in his future, his downfall or his death would be caused by Nimue. Even though Merlin could predict that Nimue was going to be the cause of his downfall, he was apparently so infatuated with her and in love with her that he just went along with whatever she said anyway. So Nimue wanted to be the King Arthur's advisor and take Merlin's place. So while they were on a journey, she lured him into a hawthorn tree and trapped him inside the hawthorn tree. Excellent. Um, And legend has it that he's still trapped inside the hawthorn tree. So if you are walking past hawthorn trees and you hear voices, it's the voice of Merlin who has been trapped there forever. And um, Nimue was able to take his place as King Arthur's advisor. Absolute boss move. Well done, Nimue. <laughs> it's well. It sounds like Merlin was an incredibly creepy mentor, and uh, yeah. she did entirely the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm going to take you from the time of King Arthur, fast forward several hundred years. Awesome. To August twenty second. 1485. Oh, okay. So we're in a field five kilometers away from the town of Market Bosworth near Leicester. So there's the King of England and the lords that are loyal to him and their armies positioned on Ambien Hill and they're facing off against a contender for the throne. Nearby, there's a third army. So this is Lord Stanley's army and it's unclear where his loyalties lie. With King Richard III or with Henry Tudor. Okay, so the battle begins. Richard's friend and ally, the Duke of Norfolk, is killed early in the battle and the royal forces seem to be floundering. So the king himself leads a charge directly against Henry Tudor, who's on the field with a small group of soldiers. As he's charging down toward Henry, Lord Stanley and his forces join forces with Henry Tudor and they attack Richard's flank. His army's flank, not his literal flank. (laughs) So Richard is betrayed and his army begins to flee and he's thrown from his horse, attacked in the muddy bog and killed. This is the bit that's either fact or legend. So it's said that his crown, which he'd worn in this glorious, slightly suicidal charge into the battle, had either been thrown into a hawthorn bush when he was cut down or it was hidden there by a soldier. And actually, I couldn't tell if it would have been hidden there by a soldier who was loyal to Richard and didn't want Henry to find it or if it was hidden there by a soldier who was part of the looting and plundering that happened because they Uh stripped Richard of all of his armor and anything he had that was worth stealing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. He was like stripped naked and then his body was paraded around. Oh, God. But anyway, the crown was found in the Hawthorne bush and given to Lord Stanley, who then placed it on the head of the new Henry VII. And so this is slightly contentious because many think that one of the emblems of the House of Tudor is a crown in a Hawthorne bush to commemorate this moment. But some people think that it actually depicts a rose bush. Because, you know, the Tudor rose, that's a mix of the the red rose and the white rose, because this series of wars and battles came to be known as the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, yeah. uh, Between the Yorkists with the white roses and the Lancastrians who were the red rose. So that 
that's my story. Cool, I like that. And I have another little Shakespeare quote. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Kind of about kingship. And so this is from Henry VI, part three. Henry VI was one of the Lancastrians. I don't know if this is lore again or if this is fact, but Henry VI is meant to have not really cared about power and just kind of wanted a simple life. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. refreshing. And it was kind of his wife and family who were gunning for power. Oh, right. This is meant to be kind of the musings of Henry VI. Gives not the hawthorn bush a sweeter shade to shepherds looking on their silly sheep than doth a rich embroidered canopy to kings that fear their subjects' treachery. So it's like, aren't shepherds happier under the shade of a hawthorn bush than a king who's scared that people are conspiring against him? Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. The whole thing feels like a lot of a tongue twister. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sweeter shade to shepherds looking on their silly sheep. (laughs) Yeah, say it really fast. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of everything I've got. Yeah, me too. I mean, there's tons about the Hawthorne. It seems like partly because they grow to be really old. And I kind of think when things are around for years and years and years, it's inevitable that lore pops up around them. Yeah, for sure. And they're so omnipresent. Uh, Anytime anyone is in the countryside, just look around you and there'll be a Hawthorne somewhere. Thank you so much for listening to Twigged. If you would like to have a look at our website, you can go to twiggedpodcast.com. And if you'd like to send us an email with any comments or questions or suggestions, our email address is twiggedpodcast at gmail.com. And our Instagram is at twiggedpodcast. We'll post about the plants that we talk about and maybe a cat. (laughs) Maybe a cat. It could be a cat. Either a plant or a cat. Ideally a cat with a plant. Yeah. (laughs) Please tell your friends about our podcast. If you could rate us and give us a really nice rating, that would be fantastic. I'm Alex. See, I got it right this time. I'm Alice. And thanks so much for listening to Twigged. Ding ling ding ling 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 ling. How much do you like plants on a scale of one to plants? Um, I would say 100% plants. 